This week is Sleep Health Week. Now, as a neurodivergent person, I not only love my sleep and want it, but I need it. I need it for cognitive function. I need it to deal with the overstimulation of the world around me. But like so many people, I find it hard to get enough. You know, I have to say this this girl is, is twerking hard for the money. Let me tell you, life is always busy, right? So... Can we catch up on our sleep is a big question. A group of sleep experts have developed new guidelines outlining what good sleep looks like. And it turns out a weekend lie-in might actually be good for us. But don't get too excited. There are, as always, caveats. Dr. Tracy Sletton is a senior lecturer in psychology at the Turner Institute for Brain and Mental Health, and she led this panel of experts. Tracy, welcome to Life Matters. Thank you very much for having me. First up, we've known for a while now that you know sleep is important to both our physical and mental well-being. But when we struggle to get enough of it, is it something that we can actually catch up on? Really great question and one that many people have, have had for a very long time. So we put an international panel together, as, as you said, to firstly look at what is the importance of how regular our sleep is. So keeping a very consistent time of going to bed and getting up each night and morning. And we really looked at the health and, and mood outcomes of, of doing that. And we found firstly that that was really, really important. So the first thing to come out of this work is the recommendation that trying to be as consistent as possible in your timing of sleep is the most important thing for our health. I love uh, the caveats. What is the but? Yes. So the but was that where though we don't get enough sleep. So when someone has been sleep restricted, perhaps because of their working week, then there are benefits for our health and well-being of extending our sleep when we do have the opportunities and, and we call that catch-up sleep. So it's an ongoing balance between consistency in our timing of sleep but also making sure that we get enough. Mm. Before we all go and, you know, switch off our alarms, uh, are there any knock-on effects to having a long lie-in on the weekend, for example? Yeah, so one of the things we or one of the reasons that we really recommend that consistency in sleep is because that helps to optimise our sleep. So we're effectively training our body to understand the timing that we are going to sleep and getting up. And so that consistency is really important. That means we do get a better quality of sleep and uh, a better outcomes as a, as a result of that. And so when we do extend our sleep and have a sleep in, the benefit is that we catch up and extend our duration of sleep when we haven't had enough. But the other aspect of it is that we then send a different message to our body. So by sleeping in, we are hiding from light exposure, for example, and are changing the timing of, of light exposure patterns to, to our body. And that can then have follow-on effects for our body then perhaps thinking that we're going to go to bed later the next day and sleep in later the next day. And of course, we're not going to do that when we get up and, and return to our working week. So that does send mixed messages to, to our body where it's not quite sure when it's supposed to be sleeping to be able to optimise that. So we, we do tend to have some knock-on effects in the longer term for that. 
Speaking of someone who uh, used to work night shifts and, and work in emergency services with police, so I had shifts all times of day and night in often quick succession, which meant, you know, one day I'd be doing a night shift, two days later I'd be on an early morning. Consistency of sleep was not a deal in my world, and I imagine that is the, the same for a lot of shift workers. How, how did they approach getting that consistency of sleep when, you know, week to week they're their daylight hours might look very different. You're spot on. So shift workers are the backbone of our society. They're, they form about one-fifth of our workforce. And that variation in their sleep um, patterns because of their work has a significant implication. We're learning a lot about the different approaches that shift workers can take. So we would look at their roster patterns, for example, and try to make sure that they are going from morning shifts to afternoon shifts to evening shifts, sort of in that rotation, as opposed to going from a night shift, for example, and being forced back into a day shift very quickly. Um, and then we do have very sort of specific guidelines that we can start to give shift workers now around how best to cope with that variation that they they can't avoid. So when they are doing the first night shift, for example, it's a good idea to not necessarily sleep in the day before, but get up at your usual time and then have a nap before you would start that night shift. So you are breaking up how long you've been awake for before you then start that that night shift as, as one example, and then trying to get home and get to sleep as quickly as possible after that night shift. And then again, having another nap later if you can before you then return to, to the next night shift. So we as our group at, at Monash University are, are very focused on coming up with very specific guidelines for shift workers around that. I'm Stephanie Cabanyana Kenyandakwe, and this is Life Matters on ABCRN. I'm joined by Tracy Sletton. She's a senior lecturer in psychology at the Turner Institute for Brain and Mental Health. Tracy, say someone is getting that regular sleep. Does that mean it, it really doesn't matter what time of day you're getting the sleep, or is it more complicated as you were outlining? A little more complicated that it for each person the timing is going to be slightly different. So we do have a lot of underlying biological determinants of the best time to, to sleep. So there is genetic basis for some of us are naturally earlier people and some of us are naturally later. And so it is about trying to work out where you sleep best. And usually it's when we don't have commitments like work or school and we are free to sleep at the time that, that suits us. That's where we tend to learn whether we're more an early or, or late person. And so trying to time our sleep to match our biological timing, our circadian rhythm or our, our body clock timing is certainly optimal for us. So if you are an early a person biologically, don't try and force yourself later. If, if you can avoid it, try to, to keep that earlier schedule for, for optimal sleep. Well, those commitments you're mentioning, I mean, work commitments, family, social commitments uh, are a product of us being uh, social human beings. <laughs> we don't live by ourselves on islands uh, at the mercy of our own alarm clocks or sunrise. When we we change up the times we sleep because of all of these, you know, social engagements, how big a problem is it and can it really make it harder for us to sleep? It certainly can. So adding all of that inconsistency by by choice with our, our social patterns, et cetera, does 
add to the problems that we experience for all aspects of, of our health. So that inconsistency sort of adds a lot of metabolic problems, mental health challenges. We know there's associations with cardiovascular challenges with that variation. And so as much as it is very, very important for us to, of course, maintain our, our lifestyle and, and have our social times, where we can try to time those better for, for our sleep, we certainly see positive outcomes. So if we can have our dinners a little bit earlier to then be able to get home and, and still get to sleep earlier, then we'll see much better longer term health outcomes. So rather than uh, bending ourselves to the world, trying to bend our worlds to us in a way. Absolutely right. Absolutely. And look, with the best will in the world, people can also still find it hard to fall asleep and like you know, allowing those racing thoughts to melt away and really get into that mode of restfulness, especially when you know the alarm is going off early in the next morning. I'm I'm terrible when it comes to a plane flight the next day. I cannot, I cannot sleep. What are some of the things that we try and do to help self-soothe and get into that sleep mode? Yes, I definitely agree with the problems that, that you have getting to sleep when you know you have to get up early and you're worried. Um, so one of the major things that we know is impacting our sleep of late is our use of light exposure and our interactions with our technology. So our phones and our tablets, for example. So those sorts of things we are often using at the last moment before we try to fall asleep. And so, A, we are getting a lot of sort of activity and um, activation in, in our brains and it gets us thinking when we're playing on social media, et cetera, right before we fall asleep. But we're also giving ourselves a lot of light exposure very close to our eyes and that actually suppresses a hormone called melatonin that um, is really involved in helping us sleep. So as much as we can get into a habit of sort of reducing our light exposure into the evening, reducing our interaction with the sorts of things that can get our mind racing, that is going to be better for our, our longer term abilities to, to sleep. And so where you can actually reduce those on a consistent basis, it again sends a, a consistent message to your body clock around your timing of, of sleep. And if you are having trouble to fall asleep, don't have those activities as your, your go-to. So if you are um, having trouble, you might want to be listening to a podcast, such as wonderful Radio National, for example, um, or you can be reading or, or something that doesn't actually involve a lot of light exposure and a lot of sort of activation prior to sleep. Mm. You also looked at the different ways lack of sleep can impact our physical and mental well-being. What are some of the health impacts of poor sleep? Yes, yeah, so the list is getting longer and longer with the more that we learn about how important sleep is. So we know that if we don't get enough sleep, we tend to feel more sleepy and our performance is impaired. So we, we make poorer decisions, our reaction times are extended, for example. And there's many of the other health implications around you know, an association with cardiovascular diseases and hypertension. We have uh, associations with inflammation, a multitude of, of metabolic disorders, as, as well as, of course, our, our mental health. Uh, there's a huge association with sleep problems and depression as, as one key example, and, and many other negative implications associated with, with poor sleep. So it's definitely something worth prioritising. What are some of the other things that can 
affect our ability, Tracy, to get a good night's sleep? You've mentioned light exposure, so not having, you know, bright iPads and, and phones or the TV on, that kind of thing. I wonder, can things like our, our age or gender make us more susceptible to sleep issues? Absolutely, yes. So we do find large changes in our sleep as we age. So one thing that many people notice is they tend to want to go to sleep earlier and get up earlier as they age. There, there are associations with our biological timing or our circadian timing tends to, to get earlier as we age. We also find differences with between sexes, so men versus women, um, have a different length in their what we call period or they're basically a 24-hour um, rhythm is, is tends to be slightly different between men and, and women. And so that tends to cause differences in when we sleep best as well. Um, we also find different susceptibilities for, for other, you know, based on other genetic aspects as well. So there are certainly individual differences. And so what works well for one person is not going to work as, as well for another well, Tracy, I've got a question for you from Texter Nick asks, why do I wake up around 3am most days? Yes, so that really interesting that, that we do tend to have different patterns of, between different people. Um, and so I guess my next, my follow-up question would always be whether a person is waking up and staying awake um, at that time. And we would treat that differently versus someone who is just waking up at 3am every day, but then falling back to sleep, whether there's a need for the bathroom at that time, for example. Um, but if someone was waking up that early and unable to get back to sleep, they may be experiencing a um, disorder called advanced sleep-wake phase disorder, for example, where their body clock is very, very advanced compared to our, our social timing. Um, or there is also a disorder called um, insomnia that sort of looks at an inability to go back to sleep when somebody wakes up. Um, and we call that sleep maintenance insomnia. So if it's something that someone's waking up and, and certainly can't get back to sleep and it's impacting them, they, they can speak to a, a sleep clinician to help them with that. Well, I wish all of us the best of very sleeps. And thank you to Dr. Tracy Sletton, Senior Lecturer in Psychology at the Turner Institute for Brain and Mental Health. Think bigger about the world we live in. Ask your smart speaker to play ABC RN.